Hello and welcome to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. Let's start off this episode with a bit of an update and I'll take you back to Friday when I went over to see a friend of mine in St Albans. And it's the first time I've seen him in a while and he probably about seven months ago now bought a Ford Mustang 2016 plate and it's one of my absolute dream cars. So I went over to see him went on a drive in it and it was everything that I hoped it would be. It's got that absolute perfect mix between a good, honest, every man or every woman's car, but with that special twist to it. I absolutely love vehicles like it. And the engine in it is the 2.3 litre EcoBoost. So, well, it's not going to be economical, but hopefully it won't break the bank in terms of economy and also repairs and maintenance. It's just got that absolute sweet spot in my mind of what a vehicle should be. But we're outside after going on a drive in the Mustang, chatting about it and what it's like. And my friend accidentally drove into a bollard straight ahead of him and he clipped the front bumper. So what you usually do when you have a car is if you do some damage to it, you go to the mechanic and you say, can you have a look at this? Just needs the bumper pushing out or this panel just nudging back into line. Hopefully shouldn't be anything too serious. No paint's been damaged. So he went to the mechanic and the mechanic said, oh no, 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 no. This is too specialist. You're going to have to go to a specialist mechanic or car dealer that knows how to deal with cars of this level. And it surprised me because it kind of gave me a flashback to when I used to have a Jaguar XK and you think, oh my God, here we go. I've got my dream car. This is brilliant. I've done, I've done the hard work to afford it. Now it's just enjoyment. But I had this same problem with the Jaguar XK that I had. It had an overheating problem. I took it to the mechanic and the mechanic said, nope, sorry, it's too specialized a car. You're going to have to take it to a specialist. So I had to drive it for an hour into the countryside to find a Jaguar specialist, which meant that every time I had an issue with the car, I had to drop it off, find someone who could actually come with me and drive me back in order to leave the car for what would usually be about two days. And it's these problems that you can have with these specialist vehicles. And the Mustang's also coming up to a service and where A smaller car may have a £20 cost to get a new tyre. The Mustang, of course, will have a 200 to £250 tyre. And while you may not think this is completely relevant to a motorcycle-focused podcast, this will bring me on in a few minutes to the main part of the podcast, which is great value motorcycles. And I'll get onto it in a bit because I had a much, much better response than I thought I would from the Mutt Motorcycles Mastiff. But just going back and giving you a bit of an update on the week, I did an Insta story a couple of days ago because a few people asked me, can you just show us how you clean a bike? And it's not that I'm a good bike cleaner. In fact, I often get bullied online for my lack of bike cleaning ability, but I thought, okay, I'll do it. I did an Instagram story about exactly how I clean my bikes. And while I'm not necessarily a good bike cleaner, I do ride through the year. And I've been riding year round for the past 10 years. And I can proudly say 
that I've never, ever had any rust on any of my bikes. And what I do to clean a bike, bearing in mind I live in a flat, so it's not super easy, you don't have a hose or anything, I always spray the whole bike with a maintenance spray, such as WD-40 or ACF-50, WD-85, things like this. Basically, any maintenance spray that acts as a loosener, uh, rust rust inhibitor, slight rust protection. Basically, it's just a great spray that you can spray on any mechanical or metal parts. So I spray that all over my bike. I leave it for 10 minutes and then I wipe it all down and I spray it everywhere, making sure to get underneath the frame of the bike as well. Right through the year, never ever had any rust. And I had a kind biker, who was in fact my neighbor, who saw me cleaning saw me cleaning my bike and he said to me, oh look, that's fine spraying with these maintenance spray, but if you really want absolute guaranteed rust prevention, and actually this thing that he recommended is so good, it doesn't just prevent rust, but in some cases it reverses it, it gets rid of the rust on the bike. So it's called ACF50 anti-corrosion lubricant. ACF50 anti-corrosion lubricant. And he says you spray it on the bike, at the start of winter and then give it a top up once every two or three months and you will not get any rust. You can then wipe it down, comes up in a beautiful shine. So I posted this onto my Instagram account and I had a lot of bikers saying, yes, that's exactly what I use. It's the only thing that's pretty much guaranteed to stop any rust. So there you go. I thought I'd share that because it can take a while to find the best products. And it sounds like with this ACF 50 anti-corrosion lubricant, that is a brilliant product for any bikers, not just if you ride in the winter, but just to protect your pride and joy. So I highly, well, I highly recommend it. I've never used it or even bought it in my life, but it looks like a lot of people do. And this year I'm doing the DGR, the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. I finally, well, I registered last year, so I've already got an account, but I just updated my account for this year. And those of you who don't know, the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride is, it's pretty much a global thing where on the 23rd of May, riders from around the world on modern classics, retros, custom style bikes, all go out in smart suits and ride around their local towns. So I'm doing it in London. I'm riding out with a few friends of mine and I'll probably actually do it twice. I'll go with Monica in the morning and then I'll go out with a few friends of mine later on. You ride around in smart suits. So London hopefully will be full of motorbikers in smart suits. And if you want to sponsor me, it is for a great cause. It's for prostate cancer and men's health. So if you go on gentlemansride.com, type in Freddie Dobbs and you'll see me there. Any... Any, uh, any sponsorship would be hugely appreciated and it goes straight to the charities. And I'm doing it with, a, well, I'm doing it with Monica first of all. So Monica and I will go out on the Bonneville. And it's a bit of a shame because I'm getting the Indian motorcycle, I always forget the name, I think it's Chieftain Dark Horse, this amazing looking cruiser bike that would be eligible for DGR because it is a proper old school vintage style bike and I get it on Wednesday but I've just found out it only comes while well, they're giving it to me with a single seater which is such a shame for me a big cruiser bike it's got to be standard with two seats surely it has to be standard with two seats but 
But no, the standard bike comes with a single seat. And I went onto the Indian website and I had a look and it's an optional extra to have a twin seat. And I had a look at the cost. I think it's a minimum of about 800 pounds for a dual seat. Ah, so that's a shame. So I'll do the first bit of the DGR with Monica on the Bonneville so two of us can go on. I may then come back, grab the Indian and then head off to see my friends and redo the DGR in London with a couple of my friends. And I'm really, really, really proud of myself because I'm useless at arranging anything, but I did manage to book in a table for myself and my two friends to go to Bike Shed. And it's really tight getting tickets for this. They sell out very quickly. So you have to book in advance because it's busy. And basically Bike Shed is this super, super cool destination bike hangout. They've got, uh, it's in the center of London and they've got a, a driveway that you, you ride your bikes through uh, a seating area. And in the seating area, as you're riding your bike through on the left and right hand sides, there are little tables that sit two, three or four people and you ride straight the way through the middle under a really old looking London style arch right at the back. And then you've got this kind of bunker building at the back where all of the bikes park up. Park your bike up, grab a coffee, grab any selection of delicious food. It really is brilliant. And there's a shop there with cool vintage cafe racist style gear and a great restaurant barber absolutely everything great hangout so it should be in general an absolutely brilliant day honda and kawasaki have now joined a list of motorcycle manufacturers and not just motorcycle manufacturers but manufacturers in general who or brands in general who are really struggling to deliver their new bikes or their new products to Europe and or to the EU and to the UK. And I'm sure it's not just happening in Europe. I'm sure it's worldwide. And what it's created in essence is a perfect storm. You've got the issues with COVID that has basically left. And I'm this is from MCN, Motorcycle News website. But you've got COVID's impact has basically left a whole load of shipping containers stranded in some parts of the world. So there's shipping container shortages. The Suez Canal issue that we all know about, meaning that international trade has been blocked for a long time. And then, of course, being in the UK, we've got Brexit related issues as well. And there's currently a global shortage of semiconductors. I don't know what they are fully, but I know they're important for bikes. And that is as a result of the trade tensions between China and USA. So there is a perfect storm going on at the moment for international trade. So some motorcycle manufacturers have actually been struggling to fulfill their deliveries for EU and UK bike purchases. And I know firsthand this is the case because when we work on projects, we have we've had a few clients who've been having to wait a few months to get their shipments in from for example asia it's taking instead of one to two months six or seven months in some cases so it's a bit of a nightmare and i feel massively massively sorry for all of these brands who are waiting and of course for these brands they need to get the window and especially in the uk the uk biking season is painfully short so if you don't get your orders in ready for may you're in a little bit of trouble so i really hope that all of these brands across europe across the world manage to get everything back up and running soon and let's go back to my point i made earlier 
and that is about the cost of vehicles going back to the mustang you know you can buy your dream vehicle but it's the cost of maintaining it and running it that sometimes is prohibitive sometimes more so and i'm guilty of this actually i've been guilty with my old jaguar more so than you realize and i gave the mutt back on Wednesday, the Mutt Mastiff 250cc, a bike that costs £4,250. And at the end of every loan that I get of bikes, I always do on Instagram a Q&A. Basically, that is where you can ask any question you want on the motorbike that I've had, absolutely anything, fired across, and then I'll answer in video format a day later. And I had, from this Instagram Q&A, it's got to be at least 50% more questions than I've ever had for any other bike. Forget about Indian Scout Bobber, the Harleys, BMW R9T, Triumph T120s. This Mutt Mastiff generated more interest than any other bike I've had. And it kind of got me thinking, why is that? But I guess it's obvious. You know, you can ride these beautiful bikes at a kind of 15k plus but the reality is that bikes that are attainable and a, a genuine option for the majority of the world they come in probably at the sub 5k mark and that's why this bike's generated so so much interest because people can look at a bike like the Mutt mastiff and be like oh my god i can actually afford my dream bike and that's what they do they they bring small capacity small cc engines that are cheap three to five k they, they make those attainable for the masses so now you can have a small capacity bike that's genuinely aspirational a bike that you really want and that's why it's so popular and i completely get that and riding around for a week it's it's everything you need in a bike it will do i think i mentioned it in the last podcast episode so i won't go into it too much but it gets you to 75 miles an hour it's brilliant handling off-roading i didn't mention this in the last one it will do 75 miles an hour on the motorway it's a brilliant commuter bike monica jumps on the back no issue and it is the most fun bike off-roading i've ever ridden in my life i actually went off-roading five days ago and in fact, actually, I'll have to try and be quick so I don't want to go over my aimed 30 minutes for this. But long story short, went off-roading on Wednesday on the Mutt. And I went to this place I've been to a few times. And it's one of the trickier, in fact, it's the trickiest off-roading section. And right in the middle of this off-roading section, you've got a really, really steep drop. Gets, and you go down into a kind of gully or valley, get down to the bottom, and then there's a seriously steep incline to get back out of the valley and i've never tried this i've never had the guts to try it on my bonneville or the triumph scrambler 1200 xc which is a big tall dual purpose bike but on the mutt i went straight down i couldn't believe it and it's because it's so light and manageable and that's what you want in an off-road bike lightness is everything so it turns out actually that the smallest cheapest least powerful bike that i've ever tested is by a long distance in my mind with my capabilities the most the most enjoyable off-road bike and a, a bike that off-road i can actually take to places that i i'd be too nervous about taking the triumph scrambler 1200 a big 200 kilo plus bike because if you get in trouble on the triumph scrambler 
It's a big heavy bike to get out of a situation. So it really is a do-it-all bike. And going on from, or carrying on with the theme of great value motorbikes, I've decided to find you a few really cool alternatives. So I thought, Fred, genius. Kawasaki W800, get on there and have a look for some good examples. But unfortunately, it's £4,850 for the current cheapest Kawasaki W800 from 2012. That's, that's Triumph Bonneville money, actually. I was really surprised at that. And then another bike that I'm a big fan of, the Motoguzzi V7. I thought I'd have a look at those from 2008. 13-year-old Motoguzzi V7. Any ideas? The cheapest one that I could find in the UK? £5,000. I actually didn't know they held their value that well. Motoguzzi V7s, still even now, they only cost... In fact, I've got it here. Brand new, you can get a Motoguzzi V7, £8,000. £8,000 for a brand new one. Yet a 13-year-old one, a 13-year-old one, is £5,000. That's a £3,000 depreciation in 13 years. It is absolutely phenomenal. And I have mentioned it a few times. Our bike prices almost going up a bit, used bike prices. And I think possibly they are. Certainly they're absolutely rock solid at the very least. But is is the supply that I was talking about earlier becoming a bit of an issue? And I've had a few people contact me on YouTube and Instagram saying that they've tested out these Euro 5 bikes and they just miss the character too much. So actually they're going to go for a second hand model that's Euro three or four, for example, because it's got more character. So as the bikes get quieter, will actually these more characterful older bikes prices rise? In fact, one person I spoke to said that he went to Triumph, tested out one of their new range of Euro five bikes, didn't like the sound of the Euro five bike, said to Triumph, look, can you put a Euro 4 exhaust on it? And Triumph actually said to him that they advise against aftermarket exhausts on Euro 5 bikes. Don't hold me to this because it's just word of mouth from what someone's telling me. I may be wrong, but that's really interesting. I guess it doesn't come as an absolute surprise because, of course, all of these new legislations, these bikes are you know, they're highly tuned, they're technological bikes, they've got lots of sensors in them now. And if you take off that Euro 5 exhaust to, you know, that that is the exact thing that controls emissions and sound of bike, take that off and just slap on an aftermarket one, there surely will be some issues. So hmm, that's going to be interesting. But will it raise the prices of these, these older, these, not classic bikes, but three, four, 10, 15 year old bikes? I think it may do. So this is really interesting because what, what I've seen, the market is incredibly strong for used bikes at the moment. Another bike that fits the bill brilliantly is a bike that I can almost guarantee you will never ever have heard of. And that's the Honda Highness. 
brackets CB350 because it, you may well be familiar with the old Honda CB350s. Great looking bike, stripped back to basics, only available in Asia at the moment and I think maybe South Africa, but it looks like from what I found online that these bikes may be coming to Europe. And what it is, it's a 350cc Honda, absolutely stunningly good looks. Modern classic, beautifully proportioned, beautifully designed, about 20 horsepower. There's a scrambler version potentially, potentially coming soon. And if that comes to the UK, Europe, USA, that it just feels like there's a market coming for these kind of bikes, these 350s, 500s. It does feel like there's a market coming, there's some interest. And the only price that I could find is, I think it was an Indonesian price, so I converted it to pounds sterling. And that's 1,800 pounds sterling. It never works out like that. I'm sure it would be more if it comes here. But that's, that's a seriously tempting bike if the price can stay low-ish like that. And that's a really viable mode of transport. I just love these super affordable bikes. Another one, of course, the Royal Enfield Meteor. This is a bike that I would love to get. And this is another 350cc bike that's just come along. This, this new market for these kind of smaller, smaller or what should we call the middleweight bikes, 350s. It's really interesting. And the Royal Enfield Meteor, award-winning bike, Top Gear award winner, 2021 Motorcycle of the Year, Motorcycle of the Year, Car and Bike Awards 2021, Modern Classic of the Year, the Royal Enfield Meteor, Modern Classic of the Year. And it's also won the Indian Motorcycle of the Year. 20 horsepower, 3,750 pounds, superb value for a 350cc bike. Went online, had a look at it. It's got a brilliant looking thing called Tripper Navigation, which is a bit like, if you're familiar with it, Beeline. Very, very well designed, stealth. Probably, what should we say, maybe three times the size of a two pound coin neatly put on your handlebar, comes standard from Royal Enfield. It then hooks up to an app on your mobile phone. You type into your phone where you want to go and then just this beautifully minimal circle flashes up just with the next move that you make. So turn left in 350 meters, straight on for 200 meters. No more than that. You don't get a big map. You just have your very next option or your instruction of what to do. Looks brilliant. And I think that's I think that's the future actually. That's a really great idea to get something like that onto a motorbike as standard. Brilliant. And if you're on the market for these these kind of modern classic bikes, especially considering, you know, bearing in mind it's incredibly difficult in the UK to pick up a modern classic bike for less than 5k. It's incredibly difficult. So that makes these bikes from Royal Enfield Honda 350 if it comes over even more appealing and bear in mind that Royal Enfield also and I couldn't believe it I had to check they also still sell the classic 500 that's a bike that looks like it's from 1945 and I don't think it's changed one bit since then it looks brilliant I've ridden one once before last summer it's about the most fun I've ever had on a bike it really is incredible Somehow it's still got a kickstart. So this is a 2021 bike and it comes with a kickstart. I remember the guy that was testing it last year when I went to meet up a few Royal Enfield riders. 
It's only about a year and a half old or something. And he had to kickstart it because there was something wrong with the, uh, with the battery. And I said to him, God, how old's that? And he said, no, no, it's a brand new one. Oh, there, they've got character. I mean, that's just brilliant, having a kickstart bike. But 5K, 5K for a bike that looks genuinely cool and is really fun. It's, it's maybe worth a punt. I'd consider one of those. Moto Guzzi, they've been updated. The new V7, which for me is one of the most beautiful bikes on the market at the moment. It really is my kind of bike. It's been updated. It's got the new 850cc Euro 5 engine. And I spoke to a Moto Guzzi owner over the week and he he uh, has been testing them. He rates them incredibly highly. He said they're now absolutely transformed with this new 850cc engine. It really has made the world of difference. So I thought, how close is it now to the T100 Bonneville? I think looks wise, they're absolutely level. I couldn't say the Bonneville is a better looking bike than the V7. They're both stunning. So listen to this, I'm going to do an absolute straight face off for this because I know that Moto Guzzi's, they're, they're still a niche brand. I speak to a lot of people in the US, they say they're still, you know, they don't sell well in the US and in Europe and a lot of countries, they're still very much niche. But listen to this, Moto Guzzi V7, 8,000 pounds, Triumph T100, 9,100 pounds, horsepower on the Guzzi, in the Guzzi is 50, I oh know is 65, on the T100 is 64. V7 weight, 223. T100 weight, 228. That's interesting, because at least on paper, at least on paper, the V7 beats the Bonneville on every single point. So that would be, that'd be very interesting. I need to try and test one of those if I can, because that's a really interesting looking bike. And almost perfect timing. On to the questions. After I've done a few, uh, a few Instagram stories and YouTube videos about some biking gear, I had a few people messaging me just to say, can you do some, some budget biking gear and show us some budget biking options because you know it's easy to show these 400 pound jackets and things like that or boots but you know for a lot of the population and myself included in reality really I'm just lucky I get to test out a lot of good gear but I completely understand it it's it's hard knowing what the good value gear is that will stack up well to the more expensive gear. For example, I did my latest YouTube video was a set of boots where they range from £343 to £128. And in reality, there's not much difference between the looks of them. So I'll give you just a few pointers um, of brands that I think are exceptionally good value at the moment with a really cool looking range of gear. Go and have a look at Broga Moto which is a Polish motorcycle clothing company. They do everything from boots, jeans, and jackets. Brilliant value. Boots started about 128, jeans about 150. RST Moto, English company, jeans about 140, boots about 128 pounds as well. You won't go far wrong with those value-wise. So take a look at those because they really do stack up incredibly well to, to some of the more premium brands. 
And that's it. That's all I've got time for today. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you do have any questions on any of the topics that I've spoken about today, or if you'd like me to cover a topic in a future episode, just let me know because I hugely welcome it. And any questions in general, fire them across dob.bs at outlook.com. That's dob.bs at outlook.com. Thank you so much. Have a great day and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you.